Well, we start a new sermon series today. For the next five weeks, we're going to be looking at uh, two chapters in the book of Hebrews, chapters 11 and 12. And the series is called By Faith. And in, in some ways, we're looking at the question of what is faith, or maybe more specifically, what does it look like to be faithful? And yet, it seems to me that that particular question is kind of the subtext of every single sermon that is preached on most Sundays from most pulpits. What does it look like to be faithful in following Jesus Christ? That's why we gather for worship in the first place, is to reroot ourselves and reground ourselves in this steadfast love of God expressed through him. But the book of Hebrews basically is unlike other books in the New Testament in that it is not really a letter, even though it's called the letter to the Hebrews in some Bibles. It is more of a sermon. And the best guess of New Testament scholars is that it was a sermon preached to Roman Christians, that is, Christians in Rome, at the time of the persecution that was being effected by the Emperor Nero after the great fire of Rome. And so it was not a, it was not a great time for Christians in the city of Rome. There were going to be other times that would be worse, but it was not a good time. And it is a book that is really a call to commitment and a call to perseverance and a call to endurance in the midst of that uh, persecution of that time. It's a call to endurance and perseverance at a time where evidence of God's presence is sort of a, a thing that's kind of in short supply. And people are wondering where this faithful God is. Much like what we looked at in the last series when we looked at Jeremiah and the way in which he speaks to the exiles and invites them to pretty much do the same thing. So the basic theme of Hebrews is this sense of a call to faithfulness. Do what the people of God have always done. Have faith. Be faithful. Hold on to the God who is holding on to you is the admonition that persists and is kind of the undertone through the entire book of Hebrews. And chapter 11, which we begin with today, is kind of a, a listing, if you will, of great heroes of the faith. The great cloud of witnesses is what he calls it when he wraps that discussion all up in chapter 12. But it's a picture of a kind of a short version of, a, of an Old Testament biblical theology or history and this listing of faithful characters who all lived as uh, he says, by faith, and he gives examples of that. And today we are looking at chapter 11, verses 1 through 7, but I'm going to back up and start reading at verse 32 in chapter 10, for those of you that are following along. But recall those earlier days when after you had been enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings sometimes being publicly exposed to abuse and persecution, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion for those who were in prison, and you cheerfully accepted the plundering of your possessions, knowing that you yourselves possess something better and more lasting. Do not therefore abandon that confidence of yours. It brings a great reward, for you need endurance. So that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. For yet in a very little while, the one who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one will live by faith. My soul takes no pleasure in anyone who shrinks back. 
but we are not among those who shrink back and so are lost, but among those who have faith and are so saved. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Indeed, by faith, our ancestors received approval. By faith, we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was made from things that are not visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain's. Through this, he received approval as righteous, God himself giving that approval to his gifts. He died, but through his faith, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken so that he did not experience death, and he was not found because God had taken him. For it was attested before he was taken away that he had pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God, for whoever would approach him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, warned by God about the events as yet unseen, respected the warning and built an ark to save his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir to the righteousness that is in accordance with faith. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, let us rest in this day in your reminder of your faithfulness to us and your call to respond in kind toward you. Show us once again what it means, what it looks like to be faithful. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. How many times have you heard in the midst of hard times just that simple phrase that often comes from our brothers and sisters in Christ that expresses a great truth, but at the time doesn't land very pleasantly with us. You just have to have faith. Well, good. I just have to have faith. It's kind of some of the most unsatisfying advice that one can receive within the context of the faith community, mainly because it's so painfully obvious. It's like it's not something we need to hear. Yes, I know I need to have faith, but right now, I'm just telling you, it feels like something in short supply. It's painfully obvious advice, and the question that we want to ask ourselves in the midst of hearing it is, yeah, but how? Where do I get it? And is it something that can even be gotten? Or is it something that has to be given to me? In some ways, that advice begs another question, and, and that's the question, is faith a commodity that we can have more or less of? Is it something that we can kind of stash away like the strategic oil reserve and just have plenty of it sitting around for times when we need it and we can go and, and get more of it? Is it something that we have and, and can run out of and can acquire if, if we need to? And what's interesting about this is that a lot of religion assumes that the answer to that question is yes. A lot of what religion has been about through history is offering different means of acquiring 
this commodity of faith. And when faith is viewed as a commodity, it's usually about something we do or strive for rather than resting in someone we are or a gift that has been given that we did nothing to earn. When faith is a commodity, one of the things we do with faith is we say that faith is a matter of believing harder. Believing more intentionally, believing with more gusto. That if we need more faith, the thing we need is that we need to trust more. We need to think more positively. We need to send positive will out to the universe, as we are told today. That we just need to work harder at being more positive. It's as if faith is the same thing that happens in the stage play Peter Pan when Peter says to the audience, oh, Tinkerbell is flagging, clap your hands. Clap harder, clap harder. And Tinkerbell comes back to life. That's faith of believing harder, of willing good things. It's not a bad thing, actually, to have a positive attitude, even though I'm kind of a glass half empty person, but to have a positive attitude is actually quite powerful in bringing about goodwill among groups of people. It's something that, that mobilizes us, but it's not really faith, at least in the biblical sense of the word. So in one sense, faith as a commodity makes us turn faith into something that we can do more of or get more of in order to believe more sufficiently about something. But faith is also, in this sense of a commodity, can be a matter of believing correctly. Not just believing harder, but believing harder in the correct way with the correct words and the correct theology. That the thing you need in order to have more faith is the right theology. That your theological system is inadequate, so you need to revise that theological system. You need a, a different hermeneutic by which you read the scriptures. You need our way of seeing it. You need our version of what the faith is as we describe it theologically. So please take on that body of information and start believing correctly. It's faith as orthodoxy. Faith as believing the right things according to any particular tradition's way of believing it. So there's faith as a kind of mindset of believing harder. There's faith of orthodoxy, of believing correctly. But there's also faith that is about practices. Faith is obedience to a certain set of religious practices. You often hear this today when people talk about my faith. In my faith, we do this. In my faith, we have this list of things that we abide by. In my faith, we we order our lives according to this particular rule. And we practice these practices, and that's what makes our faith more robust. And again, none of these things are bad, but they just really aren't what faith is as the Bible speaks about faith. They are what we have done to kind of interpret and act on our faith, so to speak, but they 
They are not the substance of faith. And the writers of Hebrews essentially says to his audience the same thing that we hear. You, in hard times, you need faith. But he defines it very differently than any of these three ways. He defines it in kind of an interesting circle in, in some ways. He says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Faith is an attitude. Faith is an action. Faith is, if you will, faithfulness. It's not a commodity that you can have more or less of by striving harder to acquire it, but it's a choice, a choice to live in and hold on to the truth that God is holding on to us. It's a relationship. It's the choice to be faithful. And this is one of the things you need to realize as you read through the scriptures is that very often faith is in its original context more about an adjective, a modifier of a person. A person is faithful. A person acts in a particular way more than it is about a commodity, a noun that is something we kind of take on and get more or less of. It's a style of life. And you see, the story of God's relationship with us is really a story of not God crossing his arms and saying, prove it to him, prove that you really do believe to me, do more, do it harder, do it in this way, follow these rules, have this theology. But it's a story about mutual faithfulness, of God reaching out to embrace and asking for nothing more and nothing less than a return of that embrace. Faith is God's reach for us and our choice about how we're going to respond to that reach. And what the writer of Hebrews does in chapter 11 is list this whole spectrum of Old Testament stories of people who lived by faith. In some ways, what he's saying is, look, not everything has changed, but everything has remained the same in terms of what pleases and displeases God. And faithfulness is the goal. Faithfulness to a relationship is the goal. And so he gives brief allusions to three stories, and we're going to see many more stories, and I'll deal with those specific characters more next week. But he talks about Abel, a very strange story about God accepting the sacrifice of Abel, but not accepting the sacrifice of his brother Cain. And, you know, frankly, it mystifies me still. I'm not sure what this all means, and maybe someday I'll figure it out. There's the story of Enoch, who was this character who walked with God, and we don't really know that much about him in the Old Testament, but there were all these stories that developed about him in the inter intertestamental period. He became kind of a hero of faith, and so to New Testament readers... In that era, Enoch was someone who walked with God and therefore pleased God. So by faith, he was taken up to be with God. And then there's the story of Noah, which we're all familiar with, that Noah walked by this same faithfulness in acting on something that was unseen but predicted in the future and living into it in the present and so showing God through that willingness to trust God, his own 
faithfulness. All of these examples are sort of ancient stories of faith. And I think the real point of them is the writer of Hebrews is going back to Genesis and saying even before Abraham, they were living by faith. And then he talks about Abraham and then goes on to talk about Moses. And we'll see those in the, in the next two weeks. But they were folks who were living in the assurance that God is and that God made us for relationship with himself, and they believed God and acted out of that belief and did sometimes what seemed to be outlandish things to those around them who were watching them do it. So in the, the book of Hebrews, really in most of the scriptures, we have to understand that faith is not described as a commodity that we possess, and we deploy, or that we store up and then expend as needed. Faith is more of an atmosphere in, in which we live. It's a context in which we dwell. It's what's described by the psalmist in Psalm 91, where he begins that psalm and says, you live in the shelter of the, of the Most High or you abide in the, the shadow of, of the Almighty. And when we do that, when we breathe in that air, when we receive that covering, so to speak, of God's presence, we see otherwise unseen things. And we see them with the eyes of our heart. And then we relax into what we have come to know when we start living by faith because we live in the awareness of the God who made us for himself and invites us to take part in that relationship. So I want to leave you with a picture of faith today. Thad, if you could go ahead and put up the, the picture. Not great on this screen, but uh, this is Velasquez's Moorish kitchen maid or supper at Emmaus. It's called a, a couple of different things. So let me just say, first of all, this is not a depiction of what the scriptures say about the dinner that happened for the, the disciples on the road to Emmaus after Jesus' resurrection. But we know the story of Emmaus. Jesus encounters these two guys walking, uh, leaving Jerusalem. He says, what are you talking about? They don't recognize him initially. He says, what are you talking about? And they stop and they look sad and they said, well, we've just come from Jerusalem and some things happened there that we don't understand because what we had hoped would happen didn't happen. And then Jesus begins to talk to them about what they're experiencing and what did happen. And they describe his death and they describe the, the fact that his body is missing from the tomb and then as they talk, they say, hey, it's late. Why don't we have dinner together? And so they invite Jesus in for dinner. The hymn, Abide With Me, you know, Abide With Me, Fast Fall, This the Evening Tide, is that same prayer. It is the prayer that, that Jesus would come and stay with us, come and have dinner in our place. And so you can see in this, those of you over here might not be able to see it because of the banner. There's a faint image of the resurrected Christ up in the upper left-hand corner there and one of those disciples talking to him. But Velasquez was more interested in this 
fictional character that he created, which is this Moorish kitchen maid. Now remember, Velazquez is a Spanish Renaissance painter, and so there is a North African woman who is serving uh, Jesus and his disciples. And if you look at her head and the subtlety of her eyes and the tilt of her head, you see that she understands something that they don't yet understand. They're back there talking about theology and she understands that the living Christ is in her midst. And Velasco has just, I think, has, has done us a, a great service of, of taking this outsider, this servant, this North African uh, servant, and she gets it. She's connected with the faith before these other guys do it. And they don't really understand who they've been talking to until he disappears. Do you remember the story? He breaks the bread and he immediately disappears and they suddenly realize who was in their midst. Faith is a matter that grows in us when we begin to realize that this one who made us for himself is in our midst. And we have these little seeds that get planted, like that are shown in this painting. And when those seeds get planted, we recognize that every day presents us with an opportunity to see the unseen God and to hear the one who communicates most profoundly, often in silence. And these experiences become the seeds of faith. They're the fuel for the faithful life. So the admonition here at the beginning is watch, listen. That's a big part of our work every single day. Watch and listen. And we, as the psalmist in Psalm 91 says, we who live in the shelter of the Most High, in the shadow of the Almighty, will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God, in whom I trust. Let's pray. Lord, take us on a journey as we walk through these stories in Hebrews 11 and 12, and then direct our attention to our Lord Jesus. Open the eyes of our hearts. Help us to be quiet and listen and help us to receive those signs of your presence and so be energized with the hope that enables us to act on our convictions. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.